Just gonna run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts. Now, here we go. It's another big week in the NFL for the New Orleans Saints. This is the Saints Wire Podcast, powered by USA Today Sports. Here's your host, Ryan O'Leary, and Saints Wire editor, John Siegler. All right, John, we've been talking about the Taysom Hill experience all year long. What about the Kendall Hinton experience? Man, that had to be the craziest game you've ever covered. Yeah, it's, uh, the Saints never have a normal week, and it wasn't even their fault this time. Um, we had a quarterback crisis for the, the opposing team, and gosh, that, that, that was crazy to see. But, you know, for, props to Kendall Hinton there. I mean, he, he handled it like a champ. He, he gave it his best effort. Um, I really hope this is, this has never held against him in any way. I mean, it was an impossible situation, and God made the best of it he could. And, uh, you know, I'm glad the Saints found a way to win because this is exactly the kind of game they would have lost uh, 10 years ago. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's the kind of game where Sean Payton would have gotten cocky and thrown the ball all over the place and gotten a bunch of turnovers and crazy stuff would have happened. But that, that's not what happened this time around. The Saints, if they're cool, they, they, they avoided the turnovers except for the one um, – Taysom Hill tipped interception, um, but it all tur- it turned out p- pretty well for the Saints defense. And they, you know, uh, say what we will, say what we will about how, how nice and pretty and aesthetic it looked. The Saints offense scored 31 points with Taysom Hill at quarterback, and I, I think that's a very big positive to take away from this. Yeah, the Broncos are a good defense, and uh, the Saints are definitely putting points on the board. You can't you can't argue against that. But one thing on the defensive side of the ball, John, that I kind of liked, and I know there's some Saints players going on Twitter giving Kendall Hinton some love, right? It seemed like they kind of laid off him. At, they could have crushed him even more than they did, I thought. But the Saints players, like, they kind of laid off him, maybe pushed him to the ground instead of destroying him here and there. You could tell they kind of, like, felt bad for him out there a little bit. That was kind of a neat little give and take during the game. Yeah, it was. In game, Cam Jordan, Mario Davis, the leaders on the defense, they kind of tipped their hats a bit to Kendall Hinton. They, they acknowledged how difficult a situation it was in for him to play an NFL game at quarterback without a single practice rep at quarterback. And, you know, they, they really stepped off the gas late in the game. The Saints made a point to run the ball a lot and milk that clock, try, just try and get out of there as quickly and cleanly as possible. It was just, just a, a great day from the Saints defense. You know, they knew that the Broncos were going to be running a lot, running at them often, and they, they responded very well to that. They had another game without a 100-yard rusher, which has gone on for several years now. You know, that, that, that stat has some flaws to it. We don't see many bell cow backs these days. Um, we don't see many 100-yard rush rushers these, these days. But the fact that the Saints have kept it going is, is commendable, and I think it really bodes well, taken with the larger body of work we've seen from them in recent weeks, going in, in, in here into the final stretch of their schedule. Yeah, there's no doubt. It's still impressive, especially when you look at the Broncos literally not having a quarterback and probably running the ball more than they would have would have ever dreamed of doing in any game plan against the Saints. So, you know, the, the Saints do it again, stopping the run, stopping the Wildcats, stopping the uh, vaunted Kendall Hinton offense that the Broncos came up with there on the fly. Wow, what a game. What a, what a season. This is unbelievable. And, well, you know, 
every time we do a podcast, something crazy happens the next day and we talk about it the week after. And it's just, I'm sure that narrative will continue. But John, I wanted to get your take on Taysom Hill's performance. He did put up the points, rushed for a couple touchdowns again. That part is working. Not as a great a day through the air as we saw against Atlanta, right? The Broncos, a better test against the pass. And we saw that, right? Hill's numbers weren't great. Threw it for under 100 yards through that interception, that tip ball, as you said. I think what we're learning is Taysom's still kind of figuring that thing out. And as you mentioned a couple podcasts ago, if Drew Brees does indeed get healthy, I think there's no question he's going to get put right back in that lineup for the playoff push, right? I mean, I think Taysom Hill feels like a stopgap until we can get Drew Brees healthy and get, get him back out there. Oh, certainly. And Sean Payton kind of took the fall a bit for Taysom's performance after the game. He, he said that he, he was in Taysom's ear 24-7 or out there urging him not to make a turnover because that's one of the ways the Saints could lose this game was by turning the ball over often, making a lot of mistakes, and that they were able to avoid that. But still, I mean, just, just seeing Taysom go through his process, being so slow to make decisions on the, during games, I mean, we see him going through his reads, but then he, he can't decide where to throw the ball. And credit to him for taking some sacks uh, rather than putting the ball in, in a dangerous spot. But there were other moments where he did throw into double coverage or triple coverage or try and rocket the ball into a tight window, which, which turned into, into an interception off the, the deflection. We just haven't seen enough from him to say that he's the guy moving forward, that he's the guy who can confidently take over for Drew Brees in, in the future or even keep Brees on the sidelines when he's healthy. I, I don't anticipate that happening. So, Hill, I mean, to, to his credit, he, he is stacking wins. He's finding ways to win. But this is very much Drew Brees' team, and I expect that to continue when he comes back. Yeah, no doubt. Me too. And what about 2021? I think there's been there were some interesting posts on the Saints Wire kind of talking about possible quarterbacks that could be drafted, that could be picked up in the offseason. Let's get to that on the other side after the Huddle.com's Fantasy Minute because that's an interesting storyline. We'll pick that up. We'll be right back. Fantasy football is about proving that you are better than your friends. Sit them, start them. These are the fantasy picks of the week. It will kill me if this game ends at a tie. I need this win. This game's pretty much done. With Corey Bonini from TheHuddle.com. Corey Benini of TheHuddle.com here to talk strong plays for Week 13 of the fantasy football season. Quarterback Kirk Cousins of the Minnesota Vikings versus the Jacksonville Jaguars. Cousins has really picked up his play of late, and he gets his star receiver Adam Thielen back in the lineup after one week off due to COVID-19. Only the Dallas Cowboys have given up more passing touchdowns in 2020 than the Jaguars. Jacksonville is hardly a threat to pick off a pass, and the yardage against them is fifth in the NFL. Factor in Dalvin Cook, and Jacksonville's defense will be spread too thin. New England Patriots running back Damian Harris at the Los Angeles Chargers. All seven rushing touchdowns against the Bolts have come since week seven, and the position has yielded seven different performances of at least 60 yards in that time. There have been eight double-digit PPR efforts over that period as well, and Harris has a chance to rebound after a couple of weeks with lukewarm results. New York Jets wide receiver Brashad Perriman versus the Las Vegas Raiders. In Perriman's last five games, scattered over seven weeks thanks to injuries and a bye, the well-traveled veteran has generated at least 10.2 PPR points four times. Since Week 9's breakout game against the Pats, Perriman has produced with both Joe Flacco and Sam Darnold at quarterback. Las Vegas has given up a wide receiver touchdown every 12.3 completions, and just 10 teams have given up more yards to the position in 2020. And at tight end, Kyle Rudolph of the Minnesota Vikings will pick on the Jaguars one more time. As mentioned, Thielen returns to balance out this offense. The matchup is a major plus as well, and the Jaguars have granted tight ends four touchdowns in the last five games. The volume has been low, which, unlike Week 12 for Rudolph, has been the norm all season long. And that's 
that's fine. You're only playing him as a flyer to get into the end zone, and he can be used as a stack with Kirk Cousins in redraft and DFS action in Week 13. Just going to run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts. Now, John, we all know Sean Payton loves Taysom Hill. He'll he'll be the first one to tell us that, right? He he loves him, and he's been saying that till, uh, he's been saying that Hill is the starting quarterback and will be going forward. Whenever Drew Brees is done, whenever Drew Brees retires, do you think there's anything that could happen here over these next couple weeks with Taysom as the starter? And he, we're getting that sample size, and we're seeing him struggle going through his progressions, as you mentioned. We're seeing him struggle with with, with defenses that aren't the Falcons, right? Um, is there any part of you that thinks Sean Payton might walk that thing back and actually reevaluate doing a more of a hybrid thing like he's done with Brees next year? Or do you think if Brees does retire, it's going to be Taysom Hill getting the keys and going, and that's what it's going to be? Like, What, what do you think about that? Yeah, so I think they're going to continue to evaluate Taysom, continue to give him, give him opportunities to show what he's got, show how he's developed. And he has developed. I mean, if you just look at his footwork now versus what we saw in the preseason a few years ago, uh, he, he's totally different from the, from the knees down, and he, he's a much he, he's moving much more efficiently there in the pocket. He's doing a good job evading pressure. I don't think I still don't think that we have seen the full Taysom Hill Saints offense because he's not being given these designed runs as often outside the red zone. He's not being given opportunities to make plays with his legs. Uh, Sean Payton and the Saints are making a point to kind of showcase what he can do as a passer, and that's been kind of hit or miss in, in these first two games. So I think he's going to get more opportunities to show off what he's got here, here against the Falcons in the next week and against the Eagles the week after that if Breeze is not ready to return, which that, that was kind of the early, indi- the early indication, the early report date, was that the Saints were hoping Breeze would be able to come back in time for that Eagles game. Depending on how this goes against the Falcons, depending on Breeze's recovery and health, which we still don't know much about because the Saints are doing a good job keeping that under wraps. I think we've, we've probably got another game game or two to fully evaluate Taysom and see, see what he can do and see how that projects moving forwards. Now, let, let's read the writing on the wall a little bit. I do think that Breeze is, is going to retire after this season. That seems to be the indication from him, from how the Saints have treated him, just, just all from all corners. Mm-hmm. I mean, he already has one foot out the door with his job with NBC Sports lined up. So I do think Taysom is going to be QB1 next year, at least going into training camp. The Saints are going to get him every opportunity to win that job. Now, who they could possibly bring in to compete with him, you know, Jameis Winston's contract is up. But the Saints, I think it was a pointed decision to roll with Taysom ahead of Jameis here because now the Saints are the only team that knows what progress Winston has made, if any, in practice every day. So they're not putting that game tape up for other teams to study, for other teams to evaluate and decide, okay, let's follow the Teddy Bridgewater model and offer him a three-year, $60 million contract. We know the Saints can't match. That, that, that's not going to, that's very unlikely to happen now. So I, I would anticipate Winston coming back for another year with, with, with New Orleans just at this super early stage. But, you know, as you mentioned, we've been kind of looking ahead a little bit on, on the Saints wire, looking at what options may be available for the Saints in the draft and free agency, possible trade targets. 
No doubt. And, and another interesting player, former Saint that was on the uh, Saints wire, Kenny Stills, right, released by the Texans, clears waivers. He's out there. And this is an interesting guy. I'm wondering, John, what sense you've gotten from Saints fans on how much they want Kenny Stills back. I know you wrote a really interesting article talking about both sides of the argument, why the Saints should bring him in, why they shouldn't bring him in. And I think there's definitely been some decline. And there's obviously a reason why the Texans are just cutting this kid loose, right? Uh, former Saint, they actually traded him in 2015 for Daniel Ellerby in a third-round pick. So they got a pretty good package for Kenny Stills back then. What, what do you think? Is there any chances the Saints take a look at bringing Kenny Stills in? Do you want him? Do you think that stunts some of the growth of the young receivers that the Saints do have? You know, What's on your wish list for Kenny Stills and the Saints? Yeah, I would like to see Kenny Stills come back and, and rejoin the Saints. I mean, this, this is a system he's proven he can play well in, and adding another receiver to the depth chart keeps guys like Austin Carr and Tommy Lee Lewis where they belong on the practice squad. Uh, I don't want to see those guys called up on a game day and put into a critical situation um, because we know what they are. And what they are is French players who, you know, no one should be surprised that they're not in the NFL suit because they're just not as talented, they're not as productive as other guys on the roster. And the Saints have, have taken some hits at the, at the receiver position. Uh, Marcos Callaway is going to miss some time with a knee sprain. You know, Michael Thomas still is not healthy from the ankle, from the high ankle sprain. He, he suffered way back in week one. That's still lingering. Uh, Traquan Smith just went down with a concussion the week before last. Uh, he was fortunately able to return very quickly from that. And, you know, if we're going towards the playoffs, I, I'm, a, I'm of the opinion that the Saints, they can't, they cannot add enough talent to this roster. Mm. We've seen them make moves in recent years. Of, you know, they just traded for Quan Alexander. They p- picked uh, Janoris Jenkins off of waivers last year. And Kenny Stills, to me, looks like someone who could make an impact here down the stretch. I don't know how often he could play right away with Thomas and Emmanuel Sanders and Smith on top of the rotation. But, you know, he, he's, I would rather have him as the fourth or fifth receiver on game days than calling up Carr or Lewis from the practice squad. Yeah, I agree with you. You can't have it, uh, enough veteran players, right? And even last year, you heard about this guy too, Terrell Suggs, right? They put a claim in for him last year when Suggs was on the market. So it's definitely in this, it's in Sean Payton in the Saints' wheelhouse to go after a veteran guy late in the season. So it'll be interesting to track what happens there. Saints remain on top of the NFC playoff picture right there in that number one spot. I want to get John's sense of what their chances are of locking down that bye. It seems to be improving week by week. And we'll look ahead to a Falcons team that has a little bit of something going. Just ask Raiders fans. The Falcons have a little something going right now. We'll talk about that coming up next. It's that time again for the line of the week. The inside track to the favorites, the underdogs, and the over-unders. I think I want my money back. Now, here are Jeff Clark and Eston McLaren from USA Today's Sportsbook Wire. Hello, I'm Eston McLaren of SportsbookWire.com and Bet Slippin' Podcast, joined by my colleague Jeff Clark. We're breaking down the Monday night football game between the San Francisco 49ers and Buffalo Bills. The 49ers come in as two-and-a-half-point underdogs as the official home team in this. They have minus 106 odds. The Bills, minus 115 odds to win by a minimum of three points. Jeff, do the Bills continue to roll through 2020, or are the 49ers back on track? Oh, for sure. I'm on the Bills to win by more than a field goal here. Josh Allen could stretch the 49ers defense more so than Jared Goff could last week. And I think this Bills defense is trending up. And it's going to do a good job against the 49ers rush and make Nick Mullins beat them in the air. I think the 49ers are back on track. That They're getting healthy. 
the the running game looking strong. The defense coming on as well. Kyle Shanahan's squad fighting for a playoff spot. I think they make it back to back and beat the Bills. Back the 49ers plus 2.5. Just going to run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts. So one thing we can say about the Saints' playoff position right now, John, is that the Bucks are helping them out. The Bucks are uh, are bowing out of the playoff race. I mean, I'm sorry, the Bucks are bowing out of the division race, right? They don't want anything to do with it. They're kind of sinking away, and, and they're going to be battling for one of those bottom wildcard spots, it looks like. I think the only team that the Saints, and, and correct me if I'm wrong here, the team I'm looking at that the Saints are concerned with and that Saints fans should be rooting against is the Packers, right? The Packers are 8-3. and three. They got the head-to-head win over the Saints, so that's that's a little scary. And the Packers have a kind of an easy schedule. They got Eagles, Lions, Panthers, Titans, Bears on their schedule. So they could easily end up finishing this thing with three three losses or maybe 12 and four at worst. The Packers, that is. Uh, so I think the Packers are the team that Saints fans are rooting against right now. And uh, New Orleans, if that happens and New Orleans kind of takes care of business here, Drew Brees gets back. I think the Saints have a really good shot at, at holding on to that number one seed and getting the bye. What do you think about that? Yeah, I think the Packers are their chief chief competition for that one seed and the very valuable first-round buy that comes with it. Um, and as you said, look, looking at their schedule, they've only got two games that may be kind of iffy uh, for them, and that would be week, week 15 and 16 against the Panthers and the Titans. Uh, the Panthers have played very well against great opponents this year. I mean, we saw them, it came down to a, a, an incredibly long-distance field goal try against the Saints. And the Panthers also took the Kansas City Chiefs down to the wire. Yep. So it wouldn't shock me if we, you know, if we tune in for a, uh, a Saturday evening Panthers-Packers game here in December, and the, and the Panthers sneak a win there. That would be huge for the Saints. And if if the, if the Panthers can't steal the deal, the Titans should be a great matchup for Green Bay the following week. You know, Derrick Henry against one of the most overrated defenses in the NFL with, with Green Bay is, should be a great matchup here on December 27th. So I, I think there's some opportunities for the, for the Packers to drop a loss here and there. Unfortunately, the same holds true for New Orleans because we've got this, week coming, this game coming up this week against the Falcons, who, I, mean, I said this last time, you, you've got to throw out previous results because it doesn't matter what the records are. It doesn't matter who has an interim coach. It doesn't, none of that matters when it's, Falcons take week because the Falcons have surprised the Saints before. They've stripped the Saints up before, and they're well positioned to do it again after man just just wrecking wow the Raiders forty three to six. You gotta be kidding me! That's crazy. Yeah, it's it's, it's ridiculous. So, I mean, going from scoring nine points on the Saints to forty right, points on right. the Raiders, who beat the Saints and who beat the, the Chiefs and who nearly beat the Chiefs again. Um, that that's an impressive win for Atlanta, and they should be they should rightfully be feeling very good about that. And so that just means hopefully the lesson of the Saints take from this is that they cannot overlook this Falcons team. They cannot say that, oh, well, we beat them 24-9 to last time. We'll, we'll beat them 24-9 again. That's not guaranteed. You know, the Saints defense has got to continue continue putting up the pressure, and they've got to continue throttling down on offense and controlling the flow of the game and really dictating how the Falcons can play this thing and just keep, just keep stacking up wins here. 
they're looking at the same schedule um, after this Falcons game. We've got another road trip to Philly, which shouldn't be a problem. I mean, I'm, I'm not sure that the Eagles are even good enough to qualify as a trap game. I mean, or, yeah. or they're, they're not they're not good bad enough yeah. to, to qualify as a trap game. I don't know game. if the Eagles I mean, win another game this year, John. That's kind of where they're at. No, not with not with Lindsey quarterback. I mean, no. maybe if they get maybe if they give Jalen Hurts a shot, but not but no, not not, not with um, East Coast Jared Goff the quarterback. Um, <laughs> like that. But the Saints, just like Green Bay, the Saints have a couple of very losable games here. Um, they got two in five days with weeks 15 and 16. Uh, they got, they've got to host the Chiefs, who are arguably the hottest team in the league uh, outside of Pittsburgh. And then five days later, four and a half days later, they got to host the Vikings, who upset the Saints in the playoffs uh, just last season. So I don't think it's guaranteed that the Saints went out here. Um, it's, it's right before we started the recording, I was working on my updated score predictions for, for, for these last five matchups. And it's going to be tough for the Saints to win out. Um, just a little bit of perspective here: the Saints have are, they're, they're nine and two. This is the 16th time in 53 years of New Orleans Saints football that they've won nine games or more in a, in a single season. We are in the golden age of Saints football right now, and it's really important to to stay aware of that. I mean, this, this is the final run for players, very, very likely the final run for. for Saints franchise players like Drew Brees and Thomas Morstead. I mean, we've we've got to kind of appreciate this for what it is and keep keep that historical context in in mind as as we look ahead. But, you know, in in, in danger of looking too far ahead, I I do think it's going to come down between Green Bay and and New Orleans. And I think that the Saints are the more even team of those two. Like, yeah, Aaron Rodgers is prolific as a quarterback. The Packers' pass, pass rush has not been as effective as it was a year ago. The run defense is among the weakest you'll see on, on, on a Sunday. I think the Saints are better positioned to win out than Green Bay is. But you know, but both squads that they got to you know uh, dance between the raindrops here a bit. No, no doubt. You still got them at thirteen and three, Saints. Yeah, I think thirteen to three is realistic for them. Just looking at the schedule, I wouldn't be shocked if it's twelve and four. If something crazy happens, if Breeze can't return as expected, Hill really starts to become a liability. I could see twelve and four coming into play. Um, just looking at this Falcons game and then Chiefs Vikings later on, but. You know, I, I, I think thirteen and three is the way to go for this. Yeah, and, and the the odds makers for this second Falcons game are kind of they're kind of buying what you're selling there, John. It's only a three point spread, right? The Saints are three point road favorites, and it's because the Falcons are a team that they're not that good, but they can beat you. They can, they can beat you, and we saw it last week. If you if you go in there and you don't play a good football game, football game the Falcons will get you. And I think that's why the line is so low. But what do you think about that? The Saints, uh, only only a three-point favor on the road. We knew they'd be favored. I thought maybe it'd be over three. I, I thought it'd be like four and a half or something. But right on that right on that number three, which means this game is is more close to, closer to a pick than anything, really, in Vegas's eyes. Uh, do you agree with that? Yeah, you know, uh, this is... This story will have been run before this podcast goes out, but my score prediction for this is 24-23. Saints barely pulling out a one-point win there. I think it's going to be very close. I think the Falcons had a ton of momentum after last week. They've, I think Raheem Norris has a great idea of what his offense can do and what it can't do now. And I think they're really going to play this one down to the wire, and I don't think this is a game that Saints fans can take for granted. John, you've been telling, you've been telling me these, these are big rivalry games, so i got to get into this Saints-Falcons rivalry. You know, I, this, I'm new to this one. Yeah, well, you, you got a great insight to it with uh, as a Pats fan, as a Tom Brady fan, with the 28-3 debacle. So <laughs> that's, that, that, that's a wonderful starting point. That's true. And, um, yeah, I mean, I mean, we didn't have a jazz fest this year, but, but in the year six, 
offense that Jazz sets. You'll, you'll see a lot of twenty-eight to three flags flying down, down there in, in, in New Orleans, and um, they like to just it, needle it, those it, Falcons it, fans all they can. Saints fans <laughs> will needle them. Yeah, and, yeah. And the feeling is mutual. I mean, Raheem Morris, uh, he came up as a Buccaneers coach, and he still feels that animosity, even if he kind of saw it from the sidelines. You know, before they played the Saints last time, he, he said in this press conference, we don't like them, they don't like us. We, we both want to win very badly. Afterwards, we'll shake hands and make up. Um, but for those 60 minutes, it's, uh, it's go time. He's John Sigler. Thanks for joining us on the Saints Wire podcast. This USA Today Sports Podcast has been presented by USA Today's Sports Media Group and is available in your favorite podcast store. Make sure to subscribe for weekly updates, the latest fantasy picks from Corey Bonini, and the Huddle Podcast, Inside the Weekly Line, with Sportsbook Wire's Jeff Clark and Eston McLaren, and the Bet Slippin' Podcast. We'll see you again next week. Just going to run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts.